Well, hey, good morning, Center Church. I am really excited that you're here. I'm excited that even despite some of the challenges we're facing, that we can gather, even if that's digital. And I've been thinking a lot about COVID-19. I bet you have too. And in fact, it wasn't really till this last Saturday that I really sat down and read anything about COVID-19. Now, maybe you're experiencing the same thing. I felt like about a month ago, I just got swept up in the whirlwind of news and closures and having to cancel church and everything else. And it wasn't really until this past weekend I sat down and started to read. And the more I read, the more I found out that every person I read has a different explanation for how to end the crisis. And we all do too. I mean, all of us, whenever we face crises like this, sometimes in a micro level in our, in our lives, other times on a macro scale, whenever we face crisis, there's a tendency for us as human beings to want to explain it, to figure it out, to get the nuts and bolts. I've had friends do this when they've uh, become ill. Friends do this through the uh, cancer journey, trying to figure out and explain it away. Some of you have been in relationships like this, or you're trying to figure out, well, here's why the divorce happened. Here's why my kids are acting like this. We do this in the midst of pandemics like we're walking through now, but we also do this in terms of the scripture story. You see that uh, the whole book of Job is basically Job and friends trying to explain away this crisis that Job was facing. But here's what happens. Our explanations always have a way of falling short. They never quite make it. They never quite go the distance. And the more I speculate and try to explain what we're in the middle of, it, the more I get frustrated because it changes what it feels like on a weekly basis. I want to ask you a question though. Is explaining away a crisis really that big of a deal? Our explanations, is that really a problem? I mean, can't, isn't that what we're supposed to do as human beings? Well, the Gospel of Mark has a really fascinating answer to that question. And I want to invite you to turn there. Mark 12, we're going to start in verse 12. So if you have a device, I invite you to pull it up. If you have a Bible, I want you to grab it. Here's what we read. And really this section of scripture is basically part three. Part three of Jesus pointing out to the Pharisees, religious leaders, the Jewish elite, that they don't understand what they don't understand. That they don't know what they don't know. That really they've been leading people astray when it comes to the kingdom of God and what the Messiah was all about. And so we pick up part three of this conversation right here. Let's read together. Mark 12. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Notice those two groups of people, Pharisees and Herodians. But they came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others. Can you catch the sarcasm here? <laughs> They're trying to trap Jesus. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now Jesus knows because Jesus is brilliant. He's, he's perceiving what's taking place and Jesus knows their hypocrisy and he asks the question back, why are you trying to trap me? He said, whose image is this? He says, bring me a denarius, let me look at it. They brought the coin, he asked them that question, whose image is this and whose inscription they say back, Caesar's. This is common Roman currency. They replied, then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's 
and give and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. The gospel writer Mark captures this incredible conversation. And what I think is really interesting is that Jesus is leading us to a a greater truth, a truth that you and I, if we truly embrace it, will change how you and I live through this crisis. Actually, how you move through crisis in the rest of your life as well. And it's really simple. Jesus invites us to trust first and explain second. Trust Him first. Surrender to Him, depend on Him, and then worry about answers and worry about the how and worry about the explanations after that fact. Because the most important work Jesus wants to do is help us to trust. If you keep reading in Mark's story, continuing in verse 18, here's what we read. Then the Sadducees, so a third group of people, we have the Pharisees, Herodians, Sadducees, they're all uh, watching this scene take place. The Sadducees had a weird resurrection theology. They didn't agree with modern Judaism. They pushed back against the theology of the day. So the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him, Jesus, with a question. They addressed him, teacher. They said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. And Jesus replied, as in didn't answer the question. He just says back, are you not in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? Jesus is saying, really, this this whole conversation is missing the point. Your whole theology as Sadducees, they were missing the point. And all three groups of these people, all three groups of these people, all, all of them really, Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, every single one of them were divided when it came to what they believed and the explanations they held around life and religion. But they all saw eye to eye on one thing. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. Jesus was a dividing figure for them. That, that he ruined the status quo of religion in the day. He, he, up, he upturned all the things that they held dear. All the explanations that they based their religious system on, he was flipping over. For Herodians, these politically hungry, power-hungry Jews, they wanted to sit at the table of government. If you're a Pharisee, you were a Jewish religious elite. They'd set up over 600 laws just to make sure you followed God the right way. Sadducees had tons of doubts and, and questions about the resurrection and disagreed with the Pharisees and disagreed with modern Judaism. In fact, again, none of these groups of people saw eye to eye except when it came to taking over Jesus. Each group had their own explanations. They had their crisis of the day. The Messiah had not yet come, and they had a ton of ways to explain it. But here's what Jesus does, and it's incredible. Jesus simplifies their disputes. Jesus is about to quote in the next section we're going to read what's called the Shema. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this original commandment God gave his people. And here's what Jesus essentially is saying, is that God is one, and we should love him with our whole selves. We should trust Him first 
and let explanations follow. Trust first and explain second. So let's read what Mark writes about Jesus' conversation. Verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, of every explanation in life, what is the most important? And this is Jesus' response. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment, no explanation, no theology greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, which if you're reading this story based on the three groups of people, I did not expect that. I didn't think that this was going to take place, but a teacher of the law, a Jewish leader, actually gets it. It starts to click for him. He says, you're right. When Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Jesus' invitation to these Jewish leaders and his invitation to us is to trust him first and to explain second. No matter what crisis you're facing, that is the the invite. Remember a couple years ago, I heard the quote. Uh, we were talking about this actually as a teaching team. We work on sermons together, and we were talking about this quote. Martin Seligman, who's an American psychologist, said that life is not about what happens to us, but life is about how we explain what happens to us. Life is not about what happens to us, but how we explain what happens to us. It's the age-old uh, thing you maybe grew up as a kid remembering the whole lesson maybe your parents gave on positivity, optimism versus pessimism. Is this gla glass half full or half empty? Now seriously, whether you're in the comments or not, is this half full or half empty? Because it all has to do with your perspective. It really is an explanation for life. But Jesus isn't just giving a better explanation to these three groups of people in this story. What Jesus is doing, and it's masterful, he's inviting these three groups of people, all divided politically, when it comes to religion, even when it comes to societal life, they're all divided. Jesus is inviting these people to lay down their faulty explanations of how life works, of how faith works, and to let him guide to let him drive, for, for their relationship to be focused on one God and to be bent on loving him with their whole self and loving other people that way too. And yet I've, I find the temptation in the midst of COVID-19 is just to keep coming up with better explanations. Well, we should open the economy slow. That's what would end the crisis. We just need better testing, better protective gear. Hospitals need to be better equipped. That would help us end the crisis. Well, it's not that, guys. It's, it's a longer lockdown. That's what we need to do. We need to have the whole summer inside. We need to protect ourselves and huddle up as a family and keep everyone else out. And other people are on the total opposite side where their, their explanation is this is a big hoax and we need to get over it and get out to go to the store. Like, we need to move on. And no matter where you're at, all of those explanations fall, fall short of the actual crisis. None of them fully answer the problem. And friends, I hope that you hear that as hope because Jesus didn't come to just offer better explanations for why we suffer. 
for why we face problems, for why our world is broken and wreaks havoc on, this, on us. He came to be the explanation, the answer, the solution, the refuge, the place that you can run to in the face of crisis. He is God and you can trust Him with your whole life. That's the thing that's so easy to miss about this story. If, if I'm being totally honest, I've read this story a bunch of times, but I miss this. Is that Mark actually highlights the three major sections, at least for me and probably for you as a disciple of Christ, or someone who's still asking questions about Jesus, that you've wrestled with. He talks about Caesar's coin, which is finance and resource. Talk about an area that's difficult to trust God. And he says, you can trust me there. You can, you can pledge allegiance to me in that area. You can give yourself to me there. And then he addresses a group of people who are wrestling with real theological questions and doubts, the Sadducees. He's saying, I want your theology to be centered around me. You can trust me with that. And then he speaks to purpose. He says the, the most important commandment, the most important reason for living and for breathing is to love me with your whole self and to love other people that way as well. You can trust me with your purpose. When you love me and you love neighbors, you, you experience what it means to live out that great commandment. Jesus invites us, trust first, explain second. I remember one of the very first times I, I went on a kind of a long road trip with Lindsay. We were probably driving to her house, which is about 13 hours away from where we were going to school up in Canada. And on a 13-hour drive down the East Coast, there are a lot of accidents. There's a lot of things that you see in the span of a 13-hour road trip. I remember the first time we passed an accident. Uh, for me, I always am curious, how did that accident happen? You maybe have done this, right? You see an accident, and you immediately back up and try to figure out, okay, how did that car end up there, and why is that thing hanging off there, and, and here's where the fire trucks and the cops are. I'm not sure how this actually took place. I'm always curious. I was curious. The very first accident we passed, I was like, how did that happen? And she did something that was really surprising to me. But I think it, it speaks to what's happening in the story. She actually would pray. Lindsay would say, Jesus, I pray that you just help them be okay. Pray that the people are, are okay and that they're safe and that first responders are okay. Like that was her gut level response, which yes, it makes her way more spiritual than me. But, but what was interesting to me is I wanted to jump right to explanations. Lindsay wanted to jump to trust. And that's what's happening in the story. Jesus is inviting the reader. Mark, as a gospel writer, is inviting us, trust God first and, and then proceed to explanation. Trust Him. Give your life to Him. See, when I think about the situation with the car accidents that we would pass, is I think often there's a sense even in us that we misunderstand what the gospel is all about. Let me put it this way. Jesus doesn't look at the wreckage of our lives and just ask, John, why don't you have a better explanation for this? Explain yourself. What, what's going on here? Why are you like that? He doesn't look at your marriage and, and the fractured and broken place it is, and this crisis is making everything worse. He's not looking at that and saying, come on, guys, pull it together. You need to figure it out. Like, what's your explanation for this? Jesus doesn't look at your lack of trust for him and in your resources and your finances and maybe even how you spend your free time and saying, I'm so disappointed in you. I'm so disappointed in you. Can you just give me a better explanation? Jesus says, I just want you to trust me. 
in your marriage, I want you to trust me. In the midst of this crisis, I just want you to trust me. When life feels stressful and when the unemployment check isn't more than you normally made, he's asking you, just would you trust me? Would you give those things to me in, in your fear and in your doubt and in your questions? Would you just hand them back to me? And I, I just want to ask you the question today. Where is God inviting you to trust him instead of your explanations? Where is God inviting you into deeper relationship with himself? Because I know for me, every time I've bumped up against an explanation that I thought was great, some order or some test or some problem or some conversation pops up in my world a day later and that explanation's out the window. But what doesn't change is every time I face that crisis, every time I experience a, a pandemic in my own world or in our world, it is an opportunity for me to trust Jesus again to surrender myself to Him again, to really depend on Him again. And this is how Jesus models His life as well. See, in Psalm 22, the, the psalmist David actually writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You may remember those words from Good Friday. We read those words, and it's Jesus' words on the cross. In the biggest crisis He ever faced, Death itself, torture itself, harassment, abuse, ridicule. He, he says these words. And if you keep reading in Psalm 22, which I encourage you to do that, it says, why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Verse 2 says, my God, I cry out day by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But look at what David says next. David says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Friends, you didn't start COVID-19 and you're not going to end it. The crises of our lives, the pandemics of our world, they are beyond our control, whether we like that or not. And we can complain on Facebook all day long about how this crisis needs to be handled better or what a governor's doing wrong or what we would do if we were in a position of power. But ultimately, those explanations are not going to remove the crisis. What if instead of that as our approach, what if we decided as disciples of Jesus as people who are seeing ourselves in the gospel story and living in the aftermath of the resurrection life, what if you and I decide to model a different way? Hear me on this. What, what if you and I decided that we were going to take those opportunities of frustration, anger, rage, disappointment, fear, and create in those moments where we trust God again, where we trust Him first and we work on explanation second? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for a supernatural end to COVID-19. We should. I'm not saying that we have, don't have the right to criticize people we voted into leadership or didn't vote into leadership. I, I think we should. But I think more than that, God wants to do something in His church that He's never done before. I think He wants to do something in, in your family He's never done before. I think He wants to do something in your soul that He's never done before. Trust Him first. 
and explain second. I would love to just take a moment of silence and I want to pray for you because there's a good chance that, that before this moment, before this time of silence, that life has been crazy. You may be zoomed out right now. <laughs> you may never want to open a webcam ever again. You may have kids right now that are running around and you're like, hey, this moment of silence, I'm going to have to listen later on because I'm not going to get it. That's totally fine. But I want to give you 30 seconds of silence and just ask that question, where is God inviting me to trust Him instead of my explanations? So let's take 30 seconds. Let's be silent before our Lord. And then I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you that in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of what we're walking through as a nation and as families, as people, that we can trust you. I thank you for stories like this that just remind us that, that there's something bigger you want to do. That, that you actually believe, Jesus, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love you with our whole selves. And we can love other people too. So God, I pray that as we reflect on that question, I pray that God in my own heart, would you stir me? Would you remind me that where I want to provide answers, where I have big questions, that you actually want to free me up just to trust you again. And that the answers will come. God, I pray for the, the marriage right now that's not in a good place. I pray that they would be able to trust you together. I pray for the kid right now, the student who's watching, who doesn't feel close to you and who's asking, God, where are you? Would you help them to trust you? And Father, I pray for the person who's watching this all alone, who hasn't gotten any calls, who doesn't feel like they belong, who doesn't have a workplace to go to, doesn't have a Zoom call to be on, that, they, that right now that you would just fill their room with your presence and they would be able to trust you as their father, as their friend. So God, I pray that you help us as a church to trust you in new ways. In Jesus' name, amen.